There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Picard podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Redshirt Dave, and tonight we'll be discussing Episode 4 of Season 1 of Star Trek Picard, Absolute Candor. This was an amazing episode. And done by Jonathan Frakes. Yes. That there, was there was, I had a few issues of what happened during the episode, but that's not his fault. No. His job is direction. Right. And when you don't notice anything wrong... That's when you do a good job at directing. Exactly. And there were a few nice little directorial moves put in the episode that that were nice, especially the scene where Soji is looking at the videotape of Ramda and you kind of get the transposition of her face into Ramda's. Yeah. I thought that was nice. Yeah. And did you think that the ship that came to the aid of the La Serena was possibly a Tholan. Oh, because it looked like one? Yeah, I thought it oh. was. I really thought that that looked like a Tholian ship. They all have sharp edges now. Yeah, which is yeah. weird. <laughs> I Yeah, I know. They're, they're all like spikes and arrows and threatening. And I don't know. Somebody decided to make a change. What happened to this softer side of the galaxy, especially the Alpha or Beta Quadrant. There's no round ships anymore. They're all... Sh- I mean, the only round ship we saw was Romulan Bird of Prey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an antique. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. Yeah, I don't know if it's to really kind of show us that, yes, this isn't the same universe that we are used to when Next Generation was exploring, that now it's a whole lot rougher and tougher out there. I guess I can say a couple more things about Jonathan Frakes work in this episode. I thought he brought the best out of Allison Pill. Yes. She's bored. Yeah. <laughs> and she comes and she's like listless and she's like swinging back and forth. Oh, you're reading. He looks up from the book and she's drifting around space. Now I know why I call it space. So what are you doing? Oh yeah, reading. Yeah. <laughs> I used to bother somebody that she she won't stop. Right. <laughs> and she did it so effectively. She does a pretty good worried look when she bursts into the uh, study. And says, is this a secret meeting or am I a part of the crew? But in this one, I don't know. She was slightly flirty, do you think? Yeah. She came out of the bridge to talk slightly flirty. Yeah, I kind of saw that in a couple of um, reviews that I read that, yeah, they kind of thought there was some chemistry there between her and Rios. So who knows? And if she can't get along with him, there's at least three or four more versions of him on that ship. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because we get to it's see getting two stranger more. and stranger. <laughs> I know. Frakes did a good job with that. There was someone else I thought that he brought the best out of too. Well, Jean Luc's always great. It'll come to me. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I tell you, uh, when we get to Rizzo at the end, she was extra threatening. I'm not. I mean, outside of uh, putting <laughs> her hand around her brother's throat. Right. There. Yes. She looked more menacing. I don't know if they changed her makeup or 
what she was wearing, but she seemed different. Oh, I yeah. I noticed that as well. And Oh, he did. Yeah. And I know uh, several of the reviews that I read were definitely saying that, yeah, they were getting a, a Lannister feel to this relationship between <laughs> the two. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> Ew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not good. It's about no. as low as you can go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, shall we get into episode four? Sure, why not? Absolute candor. The crew's journey to Free Cloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Rafi relocated Romulan refugees 14 years earlier. Upon arrival, Picard reunites with Elnor, which is pretty close to Elrond. Right. Just saying. <laughs> a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile, Narek continues his attempts to learn more about Soji while Nerissa's impatience with his lack of progress grows. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cups of poison soon. <laughs> yes. So as we catch up with the past, once again, we open 14 years in the past on the planet of Vashti, a Romulan relocation hub in the Beta Quadrant. Now, it seems to be a real happy place when Picard beams down <laughs> and Picard looks like his old archaeologist days in a tan suit and a wide brimmed Panama hat. Yeah, you know what, Steve? I don't think I ever want to see him in a Panama hat again. <laughs> Sorry, JL. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it was kind of jarring. I'm so used to seeing him in Federation wear. Right. Even relaxing back at the vineyard. Yes. This. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe, maybe a Romulan bird of prey should go by and slice off half of <laughs> a bit of the hat. <laughs> Make it a little more rakish. <laughs> now, of course, he gets greeted warmly by the inhabitants and... Having stolen some fruit from the marketplace, young Elnor runs home announcing Picard's impending arrival. Sister boy. Yes. And as Picard arrives there, he gives the boy a copy of the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I wrote a note about that somewhere. Ah, Three Musketeers. That that was an interesting choice. Yes. Back then, it involves a lot of swordplay in that part, French history. And of course, he must be interested. In French history, because that's where his vineyard is. But I thought to myself, why Three Musketeers? There's always a reason behind a book in every yes, show we watched. Is. And back then, the Musketeers were supposed to defend royalty. So I thought this was kind of an odd choice. Why would you want to introduce a narrative, or at least an allusion to one, where the heroes were actually defending royalty, which is like non-representative government. It's hardly democratic. Right. But they did fight for, I guess, personal freedom, but it was over treachery. And that was, they often tangled with the organized religion. So eh, maybe we should keep an eye on that. Maybe, maybe not. But I always thought, I thought that was an interesting choice. And you know what, Steve? Speaking of 14 years in time between stories, you know, it's right. supposed to be 14 years later. If I remember correctly, Alexander Dumas, as he would pronounce it, wrote the, the Man in the Iron Mask. And I think that was like 14 years or so around there after the original story he didn't write it 14 years later, but The Man in the Iron Mask came out. That was supposed to be when they're all much older. Right. The original story. So that kind of mirrors what we're going through here. I wonder if they chose it because of that. That's a strong possibility, I think. Yeah. Maybe somebody in the writing staff opened a book. <laughs> so as a sign of gratitude, Elnor hugs Picard. And that was a shocker. <laughs> yeah. 
At least he didn't snap in two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like an overwrought potato chip. <laughs> oh my God, snap. <laughs> A child hugged me. And of course, this prompts Elnor's caretaker, Zani, to inform the boy that he's making their visitor <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> Tried to poo-poo that. Yeah, by saying, someday I may get used to the way of absolute candor. Now, Zani is one of the sisters of the Kowat Malat, an all-female religious order fighting force whose ways of absolute candor involve speaking one's mind without hesitation or guile. Kind of like 12 Monkeys. Yeah, like, just yeah, a little the, bit. The, what would they call the daughters, right? Yes. Yeah. Aha. Nice. And, of course, Picard can only shrug in agreement when Zani says that Picard doesn't like kids because they're demanding, <laughs> distracting, and interfere with duty and pleasure alike. I, I Yeah, I kind of tilted my head at that, and I, I said to myself, are you talking about yourself, lady? <laughs> <laughs> Just an order of nuns, and they're stuck with one boy. They seem right. to love him, but yeah. <laughs> apparently, I got a feeling he gets in the way of a lot of things. I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> Now, of course, he also tells Elnor, whose feelings are very hurt by this admission, that he likes him very much. And when have we ever heard Picard tell a child he likes them? Yeah, but I believe him. It oh, seems yeah. Very sincere to me. Yes, the way Picard was in this scene was a little surprising. I mean, we had the episode on Next Gen with all the kids, and yeah. this was not the same Picard that when he had to deal with them. So it's it was kind of amazing to see this side of Jean-Luc that we never have seen before completely like this. I don't know. Going through his own transformation or he misses a crew and children are the next best thing. I'm not sure. Or, I don't know, has something to do with the Romulan relocation and they're like children to him? That could be. But yeah. I'm kind of thinking that because he was still having to deal with Data's death, that by saving people, he was kind of honoring Data. Yeah. That Data would be doing the same thing. And I think that was something that gave him a respite from his grief over Data. Yeah. But yeah. it was nice to see this side of Picard, because, like I said, I'd never seen it before. <laughs> He's lucky. He has, Patrick Stewart has that natural twinkle in his yeah. eye. Yes. And he's got that sonorous voice, and but he can soften it, too. When he means it, it can get awfully low. I mean, real low. When he was talking to Elnor, he, it's it's like a purr or a soft purr. You know, maybe from a tiger, but still, you know, it was very affectionate. I liked it. Hey, you know what? I was thinking, since we're introduced to the Quat Milat, did I pronounce that correctly? I think so. She said something to, to him, hearts and home, or hearts and house are open. And it made me think of the Queen of Hearts, which is uh, Jean-Luc's hand. Well, it wasn't his. Yeah, it was his hand. Yes, was that it was his hand? hand in the opening. You're right. Yeah. And promises are prison when she said that, too. So I wonder if there's a relation between the hearts that are open and the Queen of Hearts that we saw in the first episode. That's just something to take note of. Right. I think. I think so, too. They seem to be tying these little threads that we've seen mm. and kind of tying them all together here. Yeah, of course, it's our job. Like, yes. It's our job to find these threads, and a lot of times they go nowhere because that's just, that's us. <laughs> Still, somebody put them in there for a reason, and we'll find out what it is, it was, if it is. Yeah, it was great to see Picard showing Elnor how to sword play and, and yeah. reading in the book, and you see Elnor put his head on Jean-Luc's shoulders, 
no, as he's reading, and you just kind of go, wow, <laughs> where has this Picard been all our lives? <laughs> Speaking of Game of Thrones, we saw some sword instruction, sword play instruction, too. When young little, uh, what's her name from Game of Thrones, she used to get her sword oh, play yes, lessons right, with the yes. sticks. Huh? Yes, yes, exactly. You're absolutely right on that one. And now all our listeners are going, you don't remember her name? I'm like, I suppose I could look it up on the internet right now, (laughs) but that would be insulting. I'll let you shout it into your earbuds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, Picard wishes Johnny could find Elnor a more suitable home. And of course, she feels the same way that Picard should find him a suitable home. (laughs) Yeah, please. Yes. All he does is steal fruit. And while they're jousting, Picard's visit is cut short when he receives words that Mars has been attacked by the synthetics and promises return soon before beaming away. Forever. Broken promise. (laughs) Yeah, promises are prison, Steve. Yes, they are. (laughs) So let's jump to the present. So we're back aboard La Serena. And Steve and I discussed (laughs) earlier, Gerardi is bored with space, and she realizes why they call it space. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the way she turns it all around. Oh, yeah, space is big and nothing, but yes, there's so many galaxies and planets, and so maybe it is full of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Rios is looking at her like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) What could I'm going to have to find this lady in a hologram to keep her entertained? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but I, I, I did like part of their exchange. She has all sorts of questions. She could be a pest, although, as we discussed earlier, Frakes definitely brought the best out of her. Allison Pill, bravo. Yes. In this episode. Absolutely. She was trying to entertain herself, and she found a lot of cling on opera board. He said, long story. And I'm thinking, of course, there goes the gears working in my head again. Long story, Klingons. He might have had a secretive past. Oh, you know, yes. And he lost his captain, and uh, the last time he saw his captain, there was parts of the captain all over a bulkhead. So we all know Klingon opera is depressing. I wonder if there's a tie-in there, or just another another string to pull on about his past. We don't know a lot, but I think we're going to find out what this long story is as, as it'll come together. Yeah, I think so too, and, and this might have been Rios's way of, shall we say, diving deep into his grief and depression of losing his captain so he needs to pick up a book and read about it right like so he can get a handle on it right yeah 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 absolutely oh i know this is who i was thinking of rafi i thought uh jonathan because she's she, she comes storming onto the bridge yeah and, <laughs> and, in, and in a twist Gerardi goes oh thank god or something to that effect <laughs> uh, i was getting depressing out of stories of uh, the suffering of the soul and death and pain. Right. And that's when Rafi walked in. I thought Jonathan Frakes really brought the best out of Michelle Hurd also. There was one point she was pretty disgusted. I mean, impatient when she walked onto the bridge. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there was a part when they were in the, the study in the hologram, which we'll have to discuss later, where she's making a point and she looks up at the captain and she's got her hand and she's twisting her, her hand and she makes a a point back from Rios to Picard, and she keeps the hand turning as she turns her head and looks back at Picard. And I go, ooh, that was just a nice little acting touch. Right. Without camera movement, but the scene itself contained movement from her as she went from one person to the next. 
but it was shown through her head and hand movement. I'm like, way to go, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. Either that or she did it on her own. But I thought it was a nice little touch. Yep. This is when we find out Jean-Luc Picard has changed. <laughs> Change of plans. Yeah. And he, wa- he wants to stop at Vashti. And of course, Raffi makes a face like, oh, this, this yeah. man. And things aren't going that great. There's a petty warlord flying around in a, a Klingon. Was it a Klingon bird of prey or a Romulan bird of prey? Romulan bird of prey. Romulan bird of prey. Okay. Actually, it's not one I recognize at right. all. Yeah, it, it looked like one all the way back to the original series. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no sound in space. They should have had it backfire or something. <laughs> yeah. or, or sound like little pieces dropping off it or something. <laughs> Maybe that would be a bit too cartoonish. Right. I can just see that, uh, suggesting that to Jonathan Frakes, and he'll look at me like, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but when we get back to the planet, we get to see how Elnor matured. And he seems like he's still following the ways of the three musketeers. Hasn't been able to find a, a suitable home, which is I thought was key, outside of the Coat Malat. She, maybe there's two reasons to that. They have high standards or they couldn't let him go. Right. I don't think they could let him go. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to agree that she even says there wasn't any better place for him to go. Right, yeah. Plus we like him. <laughs> he's, he's our guy. I looked up Evan Evagora's credits before we went on air today. He does not have many at all. Wow. So this, yeah, this is very few. I'll take a quick look at it right now. He looks totally different. He looks like an elf. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I go to his credits, you can see his work for a Star Trek Picard. He has one credit for Fantasy Island, another called Secret City, where he was uncredited. And that's it. Wow. So somebody gave him a job. He looks great. I yeah. say he looks great. Oh, absolutely. Now, I thought it was hilarious when he comes in. And Zani says, you've grown old. And yeah. Picard says, and you haven't, because she didn't look a day older. I know. I know. <laughs> I thought they might give her a crease, so I looked. I'm like, nope, nope. she looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with that? I don't know. Good living. I guess so. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, uh, you can look at the Romulan. Even a Romulan senator can put on weight after a while. Right. <laughs> right? Especially if you hang around in a bar all day. Yeah. I guess Romulan ale can be a little fattening, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I remember, uh, speaking of that bar, the sign out front, Romulans only. Right. Here's another diversion. Are there Terrans on that planet or other beings? Because I didn't get an inkling that there are, but it seems that there are because it's Romulan only. But who are they excluding? Right. And, well, <laughs> I know I heard a couple of times both Picard and Zani mention Terrans. And mm. so apparently there was some other people there but before they brought the Romulans to that place, I believe. Yeah. And we haven't seen them either. That's odd. It's rather odd. Yeah. A show like Star Trek, they usually cover all the bases. You'd see somebody, if there was somebody on that planet, especially like, let's say, taking the role of like the American Indian, they got pushed off the map. Right. Rather violently. And with this relocation, there might be a native population there that doesn't feel too comfortable about being displaced. Yeah. More than likely, mm. that is what's going on. Yeah, Zani says that, yeah, they're basically are acting as the police to keep Romulans right. and Terrans safe. So, yeah, there, there probably was an established community of Terrans there before they started bringing the Romulans in. Right. She said something about patrols going out or something right. to that effect, yes. trying to keep trade routes open. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see. I don't think we'll get there, though. No. <laughs> I think that this is probably the last we'll see of Vashti for a while. Yeah. 
So at that bar, they someone had pointed out on the internet, they had spotted it in the trailer for Picard, the Deep Space Nine models on the edge of the roof. Oh. You know, and they turn in the wind. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so it made me, it made everybody wonder, like, what? So who was that? I mean, they took over Deep Space Nine. Was that like Cardassian or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Cardassians that took over uh, DS9. Yeah. So I wonder if the Cardassians are there before. It was a former Cardassian bar because those uh, whirly gigs on the top of the roof of the overhang, the outside seating, were just the Deep Space Nine models and they're twirling in the wind. Wow. Nice. <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Now, I also noticed as he's standing there by the sign and you get a shot inside the bar, there in the background, you see a Romulan in a pre-tech outfit. So the governor wasn't the highest ranking official there, which I thought was very interesting. But yeah, he was back in the shadows and I go, hmm, I recognize that costume. That's a pre-tech. Oh, that's very interesting. He has no power. Uh, apparently like not. like senator has no power. <laughs> right. So I guess this warlord that's flying about in that old bird of prey is the only power. No wonder, uh, I guess there's a ranger outfit. Right. That, that was there first. Too. Yeah, that was in control of that area, but they didn't have the resources to keep it under control. Yikes, it's turning into the Old West. Yeah. Yeah, so good old Jean-Luc Picard. He doesn't like the Romulan sign. Takes it down and stomps on it in a good old uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard fashion. Right. But he pretty much got the cold shoulder from everyone. But he picked a fight. Yes, he did. Deliberately. He doesn't like the way things are going. He didn't like that Elnor had signed up when he initially met him. And they had a rough patch they went through. And Elnor had the absolute candor. He came out with his feelings. So did you miss me? Right. Of course, it was a flashback when Picard sitting down with Zani and Elnor brings over the bread. And he goes, oh, not now. Clang. Uh, goes yeah. down the plate. Really? What am I, a child to you still? Right. Oh, that must have stung a little. Picard, are you clueless or what? Right. How many times do you have to go through this this season before you get it? Yeah. And it stung even worse when he sits down and tells Elnor the story of why he wants him to bind his sword to his cause. And basically, Elnor says, no, you only wanted me now because I'm big and strong and you're old. So screw you, yeah. basically. I know. Picard, what are you thinking? There has to be at some level Picard appealing to the, the memories of the Three Musketeers. Uh, don't you want to join my lost cause? Right. All for one, one for all. <laughs> We're in the minority here against the evil empire, whoever they may be. Yep. I guess it did. But boy, it could have worked against them, too. Yeah, it really could have worked badly. <laughs> <laughs> against him. But in the end, Elnor did des decide to bind his sword <laughs> to Picard's cause, especially because it's hopeless. That's the best kind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're being pursued. So he shows up after Picard decides to make his statement in a bar. And you notice nobody throws a Romulan nail in somebody else's face because that would be a waste, Steve. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you, you never throw a Romulan nail. <laughs> and if you do, somebody better have their mouth open. Yeah. <laughs> but in a vicious move and a very acrobatic one, Elnor spins to defend himself, parries a blow from the first attacker, and as he's swirling through the air, there's a blade cut right through the ex-senator's neck. You right. Know, you see a little trim of, <laughs> a little bit of green there, and then splop. Uh, <laughs> right in front of Picard, he's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, one of the other guys goes, well, I, let's see if you can 
dodge a disruptor. Right. And, goes, and Picard's quick to the badge. Now, it's like uh, back in the old day, now would be a good time. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you ever wonder, Steve, if the Starfleet is monitoring their communication since they're using a Starfleet communicator? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, isn't, that kinda, isn't that kind of dumb? Yeah. It's not the <laughs> brightest move in the world. And, and even Picard says that when he's talking to Elnor, that yes, he believes that it's more than likely that he's being chased. Yeah. Yeah, we're just waiting for Starfleet to show up. Why not? They're just playing him too, like whoever else is chasing, because you know the bad guys are chasing him. Right. And if they're working with the Talish Yard to find the hive of yeah soji's people <laughs> i can see them both playing it that way i guess so no one else could figure out where they were on free world <laughs> right yeah if narissa slash rizzo doesn't get her brother to cooperate then they are also always knowing where picard is at all times so they beam back just in, in the nick of time it was interesting earlier when picard beamed back 14 years ago, he was walking away with that awful hat. Yes. He's walking down the steps and he beamed him up in mid-walk. Right. Now, how yeah. did he <laughs> land I know, no, he didn't feet. walk into a wall. Yes. <laughs> when he got back aboard the ship. Or fallen down because he was taking a step. Yeah, I know, and there's no more step there. And I, I can just see the guy in control of the transporter, like, Admiral Picard, how many times have we told no, you <laughs> not to be on the move when we transport you? <laughs> Whatever. Yes. Oh, it is fun, though, when they get back in the ship, though, that bird of prey attacks. Right. And it is old. You can see in some of the latest ships where the weapons fire comes from. In, in Like in the, uh, I think it was the Enterprise D, there was a circle underneath the uh, saucer park. And it would shoot from anywhere in that circle. They didn't have to shoot from a, a port. Right. Or like a gun, let's say, a weapons port. But this did. This old bird of prey had to shoot. It just shot forward, and that was it. So if you wanted to shoot somebody, you had to turn. Right. I didn't quite catch that from Rios's ship, though, where it came from, or the fire from that ship that suddenly came out of nowhere. So maybe there isn't that hideous ship that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I couldn't tell where the weapons fire came from on that ship, too, whether it was from... It seemed as they passed, though, it would turn at, at an odd angle, a 90 or 45 degree right, angle. Yes. So maybe they can shoot anywhere. Yep. But that was but a this was fun. great scene. Yeah, this was really a great scene. And because we haven't had a space battle yet. And mm -hmm. Rios does a great job of outmaneuvering the bird of prey. Yeah. He picked a protocol for evasive action. And yet he's still handling the controls. I'm like, hey, dude. Yeah. Are you, you're overriding your own protocol you just initiated. <laughs> and then we get another emergency hologram as all of a sudden there's a weapons Rios at the con. Yeah, I wonder if this guy was down on the bar. <laughs> yeah. Back on the, he looked a little disheveled. He's like slumped over his controls. Like, uh, did we interrupt you, buddy? <laughs> he's like a swarthy pirate or something to that effect. Right. So, yeah, great battle. And the ship does slice between them. And that gave me a flashback to uh, First Contact. And Picard decides to join the fray. He's tired of hanging around. Right. Because he was a little cutest once. And so they come back. And that little ship, what was the name of the little ship? They had the wharf was on. It was from Deep Space Nine. He was right. in the battle, too. Yeah. Good. And the way they introduced the uh, Enterprise was it having it cut between the Borg cube and his little ship of wharfs. Yeah. And that was such a cool moment. And then 
On a smaller scale, this was uh, replicated here. When Seven of Nine ship cuts between the two, and everyone's thrilled. Uh, I, I saw some of the feedback on Facebook, people screaming, Seven of Nine! Yes. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, but didn't you see the uh, credits at the beginning of the show? It said yes. Jerry Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't have been that much of a surprise, but people, I guess people don't read the credits at the beginning. Yeah, apparently but not. <laughs> it did fool me in that in the trailers, we saw her reappear in his study, and I figured that was on Earth, because she's so casual. Hey, what are you doing in this part? I didn't put that together, that they might have been in space and replicated his study. Right, yes. That was a nice touch. But what else is odd? Seeing her, I mean, seeing her is great. Absolutely. And she still has her implant on. Yeah. Why? I mean, even Hugh got rid of his. Well, no, Hugh still had a couple as well. They weren't big ones. I thought he just had black marks and lines. I don't know. No, it looked like uh, there was still some metallic pieces in his forehead. That's a long time, though. Right. Anyway, you know what would have been cool, Steve? If he had seen her, he goes, seven of nine, this is Picard. I'm like, really? (laughs) After all these years? It would have been really cool if he had said, Annika. Yes. Annika Hansen. Because why not? I mean, she's reacclimated after all these years. I mean, all these years. Yeah. Surely she must have readopted her Earth name. Yep. And he would would know that. You know, say, hey, Annika. (laughs) And that would have freak people out because half the people out there are going to say oh no that's not annika it's seven of nine yeah yeah but that was a long time ago and she's been hanging around in space apparently you think she'd lose that name or is that just me right (laughs) yeah so yes it was great to see her and of course (laughs) her telling him that she owes him a ship was (laughs) a nice (laughs) touch (laughs) yeah we'll have to find out what she was doing in her i don't know Apparently, she's in the Beta Quadrant. That's a long way from her home, if you call Earth home. You know, that's right. where she was from originally, and that's yep. where Voyager returned to. Yep. So what the heck is she doing out in the Beta Quadrant? She's following him, too? Right. Now, that could be. Could be. Yeah. If Admiral Janeway is still an admiral that might be on the inside, that kind of keeping an eye on Picard and since 7 That'd of 9 cool. to following. That'd yeah. That if she's still be. a part of the Federation, she'd be the type that would quit, too, over principle. Oh, absolutely. I wonder if we'll get... I don't think we'll get to see her. No. Uh, she's busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that's a good theory. I, I would like to see at least a reference, or a certain admiral. Uh, at least Annika or Seven can say, a certain admiral wanted me to keep tabs on you. Right. And it also would be nice to know that they do have some sort of relationship, that they've spent some time together. That would be amazing. Find that out. Him and Janeway or him and Seven? Him and him Janeway. Him and Seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be cool. What if she came back to teach? Right. At uh, the academy <laughs> or something like that. I can understand her classes would have a long, 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 long waiting line. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Right. <laughs> now we'll move on to the reclamation cube. Goody. Yes, where we see Soji watching an old video of Ramda. And speaking of the day of annihilation, which all the unshackled demons answer the call of the destroyer. So that's that was incredibly loaded. I was gonna save my thoughts on this to the end. Okay. But, but I don't think I will, Steve. All right. <laughs> Let's hear him. So uh, Romulan mythology, okay? It seems to have a literal side of it, of course, because we're seeing it play out before us. Right. Rhonda studies mythology. She can see the news or see someone in tomorrow. And they have obviously a tale, the Gamadon, where a day of annihilation 
And of course, shackled, unshackled demons. What's an unshackled demon, Steve? A synth, a robot, an android, right? You would think. I would think. How come their mythology couldn't foresee the destruction of the son of Romulus? Very true. Good question. Yeah. You would think that would be a big part of their mythology and how they would display it. It doesn't harm my theory at all. My theory still lives. Yes. That the Romulans are descendants of the uh, organic android Romulans that survives the spacefaring thousands of years ago or whenever it happened. Right. But uh, that's it. I mean, I like this Romulan uh, mythology in the Day of Annihilation and unshackled demons that I take to be androids and robots. Right. But sure missed the call and the sun blowing up. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Oops. Yeah. Now, later, while examining the still unconscious Ramda in the disordered wing, Soji tells Narek that she blames herself for the woman's suicide attempt and that she's felt seen by Ramda. Seen as an exposed? I kind of think so, maybe. See who she really is. So, yeah, okay. She hasn't been activated, and we find out later that they speak of the activation. Uh, Narek and his sister talk of it. Right. You know, and that give more weight that there's obviously a lot more of them out there, or a nest, as we had learned, which is really interesting. And it made me think, so there's more than one destroyer? Yeah. The na- whole narrative of this season is the destroyer, and it's heavy in their mythology. But there's a nest of them. Right. Of course, the, the Romulans wouldn't know that. They're like, but they're examining this one person, Soji, as a destroyer. So if they kill her, that means another destroyer comes along. Have they put that into thought? It, is, it just seems like a narrative or written misstep to me. Well, if you consider the way Nerissa has treated Narek, is really their goal is to find the nest, kill Soji, and then mm-hmm. destroy the nest. Right. The only reason they haven't killed Soji yet is because they want to make sure that there's not another destroyer in the nest to take her place. I guess so. Yeah, but that falls into my thinking, though. Like, yeah, it still has the mythology built around it. It's like, can there be multiple destroyers? I mean, I don't think Roman mythology would account for. There's going to be one after another. I mean, these people in their modern era know right. that there's not really a, a mythical being destroying them, even though right. that's what she represents. But it still strikes me as a little odd. That we have Soji's the main character. Right. They keep calling her the destroyer. They're not going to kill her off because that would kind of wreck the show. Right. Well, maybe they will by the end of the season, but they just can't say, well, here's another one. Unless Soji has a, a triplet sister, or actually, it could be uh, quadruplets. Right. <laughs> right? That'd yes. be weird. Yes, it would. <laughs> All right, enough of my tangent, Steve. Please continue. <laughs> All right. And after subsequent drinks, Soji asked Narek, how he always knows her whereabouts and has so much insight into her life. Well, it's about time, Soji. You started questioning that. Yes. In our neck of the wood, that's calling. That's called Don coming over Marblehead. Yes. <laughs> now, she just flat out asks him if he's Talis Shar, and he denies it, but even if he was, he wouldn't admit to it. I know. <laughs> We've seen that before, too. That's kind of a good joke. Right. Are you and- supposed to say no? Yeah. Right. And so (laughs) (laughs) absolute candor is clearly not Narek's strong suit. (laughs) Yeah. Also, uh, another play between what's going on in the series as an entirety. They're a secret race of people. And, of course, there's just the nuns are a small sect that decide that candor is good. Still, in the larger sense, everything is a secret, even in today's universe or the 24th century's universe or galaxy. Right. Everyone still has their secrets. Oh, absolutely. Now, he does suggest that the Borg database might have answers to Soji's 
questions about what happened to Ramda's Borg-assimilated ship, which brings her back around. Yeah, nice tease. Yes. Your little carrot and stick approach there. Here's a little carrot. Yep. And of course, to access the database, Narek makes Soji follow a Borg ritual by <laughs> taking off her shoes and sliding through steam-filled passageways. Yeah. Who would have thought? Here's some boomer talk for all listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what a slip and slide is, right, Steve? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when we were kids, we had this thing. They were designed to, to impale and, and uh, maim us when we were children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was called a slip and slide. It was this long sheet of plastic, yellow plastic. We used to run water across it. And it was fun. I mean, you get on, you'd slide just like they were sliding. And that's what I thought. Oh, slip and slide. Yep. Of course, at the end of the strip of plastic, there's like raw earth. <laughs> kids, and we were just like wipe out and roll or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the good old days. Okay, yeah. enough boomer talk. <laughs> many, many grass uh, burned. <laughs> yes, <the> grass burns. <laughs> now, of course, they're playing on the passageways. Of course, ends in kissing. And yes. then Narek opens his mouth and confronts Soji about her lie regarding her presence on a transport ship. And she basically says, you calling me a liar? Well, I'm done with you. Yeah, why would he push it like that, do you think? Why confront her? I mean, he just went through that whole ritual on the uh, slip and slide, and they ended in kissing, and then he calls her out for being a liar, I mean, tangentially. Well, I don't know, maybe that's the whole part of the carrot and stick approach, because she storms off, and then out comes the carrot of the Borg database again. Right. Still, I don't know, dude. In the the next scene, we see that, yes, Nerissa is definitely putting some pressure on him. Yeah. And I think that was really what he was attempting to do was distract Soji with the slip and slide and see if he could get her to admit to something. But she's a whole lot smarter than he thinks she is, or at least I think so. Because, of course, later we see Narek is awakened in bed by Nerissa, who teases her brother about Soji's anatomical correctness. <laughs> and you kind of go, all right, what the frick is going on here? Yeah. You really get that uh, <laughs> brother-sister, ooh-no feeling. Yeah, the old Game of Thrones feeling. Yeah. Okay, where are we going with this? But she does tease him oh, terribly. Yes. And it's got this nasty, flirtatious bend to it. Yes. I mean, she's sitting on the bed opposite, and she's got her knee up. Which is, exposes her leg, yeah. You know, and she's got star nylons on, on or yes. something, and, yes. and high boots, and like I'm not saying, that's but I'm just saying, yes. <laughs> but I, yes, <laughs> that's when he admits he he doesn't want to activate her, right? Which would, of course, require the need to kill Soji if they did. Yeah. How did they know about activation? Remember uh, when they first sent that team to get Dodge? I mean, those stormtroopers, whatever they are, right? We talked about activation. So obviously, have they seen it before? They have experience with activation. They don't know where the nest is, but there's some out there. Right. Well, I think that, yes, they believe there's a nest because they tried to get Dodge first and she took him out. They realized, oh, well, we can't do it that way because if yeah, she Yeah, but they knew about activation. Right. Times. Yes, yes, they so did. So did they have experience with activation beforehand? Yeah, I don't think so, but I think it is part of the mythology that we we haven't heard Ramda actually inform us of, but I believe that that's what they're going by. 
Maybe. Yeah. It seems it seems to have a scientific field for it. I don't. It just makes me wonder if they maybe if they haven't come across a nest and they've come across a replicant like Soji. Maybe there was two others or two brothers or right. two other sisters yeah. somewhere. Maybe not fully formed, but then they got tales of activation, perhaps. <laughs> On some distant planet or whatever, and things just went straight to hell. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So Nerissa reminds him that Soji will have to be killed, but he says they can't do that until they've learned where she comes from and where the rest of them are. Yeah. And that sure gives us the feeling that Soji and Dodge aren't the only data-bred androids roaming the galaxy. Right. So I wonder if some had escaped the nest or were they sent out too, because Narissa seems to think, I mean, she's in the cube for a reason. Right. She's sent here. Right. Yep. And Rizzo reminds her sibling that your little robot girl has a plan, and don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to her. Right. And then she grabs him by the throat and demands he reveal Soji's true identity, and he tells her the Destroyer. Yeah. That didn't seem to flip her out, though. No. I think she was expecting to hear that. I guess. And she gives him one more week to get somewhere with his undercover work. After that, they'll try her pain and violence approach. <laughs> okay. I'm sure she has an outfit for that, too. Oh, I'm sure she does. <laughs> I think it involves high boots. <laughs> yeah. So do we got any new theories, Dave? Oh, I kind of swept through them already. I just can't help myself, Steve. Right, that's fine. <laughs> I understand. Now, it was interesting that in the movie Generations, Jean-Luc grapples with the death of his brother Robert and his nephew René, which was first introduced so well in the Next Generation episode Family, and coming to terms with the fact that he'll be the last of the Picards. Could he possibly see Elnor as sort of a son, the offspring he never had? He thought of Data that way. It's very possible. Certainly I, a shipmate. Right. Course. Yeah. It's very possible that he did grow to feel like he was sort of a son to him because he was always mentoring him. Yeah. So yeah, you could very well look at that as being a parent to a, a child as you're always trying to give information that will keep the child from making mistakes. Yeah, and certainly Data was a blank slate. Yes. So, he could yeah. fly a starship, but <laughs> I mean, he's the funniest part of the show sometimes, and what he didn't know <laughs> was going on. Yeah. So there are a few things I would like to bring up. I made some random notes here and there. Maybe not theories, but just observations. Okay. I've noticed in the direction. First of all, I wrote a note. There's a character in the Romulan bar that looked just like Mark Leonard, especially Whoa. the profile. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Mark Leonard? He played yes. oh, Fox's father. He was sometimes he was a, a Shakespearean actor before he got signed up for Star Trek. And Mark Leonard's first role on Star Trek, the original series, was to pay, a play a Romulan. Right. This guy looked like a mirror image. I wonder if they did that on purpose because this guy looked just like Mark Leonard. I'm it, like, oh look. Yeah, that's very possible because we've seen the amazing things that they can do with FX these days. I mean, we've seen Carrie <laughs> Fisher in two movies. Yeah, so right. right. It's very possible that they could have uh, imposed a uh, Mark Leonard face onto one of those Romulans. But yeah, that's a great Easter egg. Yeah. I also thought of, uh, I wonder how long they're going to continue to flog Jean-Luc Picard on this show. He's been taking a, a pounding. Wherever he goes, he has to face the guilt of, right. you know, abandonment. How long is that 
going to continue, do you think, <laughs> to the end of season one? No, I, mean, he, I really don't think so. I okay. think once he makes his peace with Elnor, I think we'll start seeing more of him getting comfortable in his own skin again, and we'll start to see more of the Picard we know come out again. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, you can only take so much of a beating. Everyone loves a character and loves right. the actor. Yes. So I, maybe I, they should put an end to beating him up every episode. Right. Yeah, I think so too, especially because he is such a beloved character that, yes, we've seen his hubris and we've right. seen his caring side this episode. And so, yeah, I think we'll finally get there. I mean, I can't see going a whole 10 episodes of constantly having to do this to him i think the fans would definitely not be pleased with it yeah i'm feeling it a little bit right now myself right yeah it is getting tough to see episode after episode of hopscotch across the galaxy oh someone else hates me yes (laughs) well we were talking about the koat milat earlier and they apparently are the Enemies of the Tal Shiar, which right. is awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So why hasn't the Tal Shiar wiped them out? Very and good question. That, and I thought, you know, why would the Tal Shiar or the, uh, what's the name of the other movement? The Jot. 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 Yep. Mot, yeah. Why assassin? Why not smart bomb? Or, right. I mean, yep. they attacked Mars, or somebody did, with a fleet of ships. Who cares if they just blow up the vineyard or blow up where the Coat Milata? Why don't they do that? I mean, why assassins? Right. I mean, you leave the chance of leaving bodies behind if you send in operatives. But if you just drop a, a proton torpedo, yep, <laughs> you just go like, job done. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too splashy. I mean, we already got a Romulan space pirate flying around. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Someone's saying into their uh, their headphones right now yeah. that, uh, well, there is a grid around the planet. So you just can't fly in and, and shoot the Quatmala. But you can you can still get access, and it's a Romulan planet. So you think the Tal Shiar would be on, on there operating, right, in some form, and they could just slip a little bomb. I mean, yep. That's see, 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 that's the kind of thing that bothered me. Maybe I'm a little too literal. <laughs> you know what else was cool that I noticed in this episode? For some reason, they had to replicate Jean Luc's study. It's right. nice to have yes. to study with you, and it fooled everybody during the teasers because we everyone thought he's back home he just replicated it <laughs> right exactly people are meeting him there so okay whatever i don't see why but he looked out the window and he goes uh, pause program or in program and the bird stops in midair right. yes and he's down on the planet and when he's talking to uh, zani if you look in the background there's a lot of birds and butterflies flying around i'm like okay Maybe I'm going out another tangent, but what's up with all the winged things? Is it just because they're going to introduce a bird of prey at the end of the show? Or is there something tie in? Or something more thematic, you know, maybe it has something to do with freedom and peace. Right. Oh, and flying. But the, I don't know. To me, I'm looking in the background, there's something fluttering all the time, at least down on the planet. Right. Certainly not a spaceship. Right. Definitely yeah. on the planet. Yeah, even when Then they, we got the bird of prey, so maybe. Yeah, they're t- trying to tie that in. Yep. Because yeah, we maybe. even saw when he first returns and they show the shot of them uh, playing with the tarot deck, the first thing that moves is a, something flying up off the table. Yeah. And everything's triangular, too. Yeah. I thought of that, too. So the Pixmit cards were triangular, and these gambling cards are triangular. And it made me think, uh, the old saying, there's two sides to every coin or every argument. Right. But if you're a Romulan, 
there's must be three sides yes to everything Thank there's the, the two ones that are in the open opposing thoughts or train of thought and there's the third one which is belongs to this whatever secret you're keeping i mean that was my impression yeah absolutely a very good one and i completely agree with that one because yes we hear in the episode that the Romulans do not believe in absolute candor whatsoever. Yeah. They're always hiding something. Okay. I think we're going to learn more about the Shainor, huh? Yes. They, they dropped us a hint. Yes. About why. Yep. Why the Shainor? Why did it affect the cube? Yep. What happened to these people? That, that's going to, hopefully, it'll fall into my theory, of course, Steve. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully, Seven of Nine will be able to provide some of that information. Yeah. I wonder if she's doing, she's got something else going. Probably. Yeah. Well, apparently they're going to bring her to Free Cloud, so that'll be awesome. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the the costumes that they have to wear in Free Cloud. Oh, God. (laughs) It would be Star Trek unless they did that. I mean, every single day they had to do, I mean, from detective shows to the Wild West to everything else. It's dress-up time. Sherwood Forest. uh. There's one more Easter egg I can point out, the okay. uh, the Wallenberg class of right. transport ship. Yes. So that was named after Raoul Wallenberg, one of the heroes of the Second World War that helped dispossess people. Right. Escape fascism. Just, right. And they never found him again. Yeah. Either. <laughs> so not that he was an unsung hero, but uh, at least the show saluted somebody that saved, I, don't know, I think he saved maybe hundreds of thousands of lives. Oh, absolutely he did. Yep. Interesting. I'm glad they got a little bit of tribute there. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Now, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season and looking forward to interacting with you on social media. How can the fans interact with us, Dave? They can go to thefangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you'll find several ways to contact versus e- via email and through social media. And Twitter, you can find Steve here at Sawyer Steve, and I'm at the real ID Dave. Or you can just search out Interdimensional Day. I think I'll be writing on my blog all my frustrations. <laughs> <laughs> There's really nothing to build upon for my theory. My theory. Right, yeah. But it, it wasn't dismissed, and there's this pretty interesting clues. And maybe I could, I'll work it into butterflies. There we go. (laughs) So please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. Episode is on uh, February 20th, and it's titled Stardust City Rag, baby. I hope there's a a great soundtrack we can download. (laughs) So remember, (laughs) this is Chief Engineer Steve. Someday I may get used to the way of absolute candor. This is Red Shirt Dave. I had to go to the replicator and get a whole bunch of new red shirts because when I went to target practice with my friends in a holodeck last week, I didn't know I'd be the target. Oh, no. (laughs) Lesson learned. No, but the good news is... Chief Engineer Steve, uh, I'm going to be on Romulan TV. Oh, that should be awesome. I know. I hope I don't regret my choice. Let's hope not.